Hello, Christ Community Church. We are continuing our series, Both And, where we are looking at attributes of God that at first glance don't seem like they should go together, but they actually do. So to check out another surprising combination, we're headed out to Elgin. Let's bounce. Well, if the thought of a game of dodgeball puts some spring in your step, well, then you'll love Epic Air. Let's go and check it out. We're here with Matt, a manager at Epic Air. So why don't you tell us a, a little bit about Epic Air? Uh, well, Epic Air has been open for four and a half years now. Um, we really pride ourselves on interaction and having the employees um, make it a fun experience for everybody jumping here. And uh, we have a couple different trampoline courts. Uh, we have our long tracks. We have basketball, uh, where the kids can really dunk for the first time. Um, we have foam pit, where little kids can jump into the pit. And then we have our epic dodgeball court. That, that sounds really interesting, because we're interested in surprising combinations. So can you tell us uh, what is epic dodgeball and how it works? Uh, so epic dodgeball is um, you know, your, your normal dodgeball game, um, but we have it on the trampolines. And we have an employee uh, that kind of sets up the game, go over the rules, and then everybody's actually jumping on a trampoline throwing dodgeballs around, playing dodgeball, so it's a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. Well, let's go hop in and try it out. Real man sweat. <laughs> why, you, why you keep filming this? Our guest today is Dr. Ed Stetzer, who's a prolific author and up until recently was the executive director at Lifeway Research. He is currently a professor at Wheaton College. He's going to be talking about how God can be both inclusive and exclusive. And I don't think he expected to walk up to this, so let's give him a nice warm Christ community welcome when he gets on stage. Can I just say that dodgeball is of the devil? Uh, just to start, and as, as, as the non-athletic kid, many of you were the non-athletic kid in, uh, in high school, uh, dodgeball was a moment of uh, great shame, and uh, so I want you to just thank you for that, Clayton, and I appreciate it. I don't know what Clayton does all summer other than make videos and go to strange places, but nevertheless, he seems to be having a good time. Hey, my name is Ed Stetzer. It's good to be here. It's really good to be here because I got lost coming here this morning. Uh, I, lo I don't know anywhere uh, where I am. I'm totally uh, geographically confused because all of my earthly possessions just arrived here on Monday. And so literally my, my home is filled with boxes. I, I got lost on my way to church, but it's good to be here. Excited to be at Wheaton College. I um, just really just kind of finalized that decision a few months ago. My daughter had actually decided to go to Wheaton College. It was accepted, admitted, um, and uh, was, was actually planning to do that six months before I decided to come to Wheaton College. So can you imagine the awkward conversation that we had a little bit later on? You know, we lived in Tennessee, and she 
was going 500 miles away to college, and I sat her down and said, honey, we need to talk. Um, so, I, I, so, so I'm going to be coming. I'm going to be a professor at Wheaton College. And she said, she had this look on her face. She was like, what? So, so let me get this straight. I was going 500 miles away to college, and now you're moving in the same town? I, I, it took her a little while for it. She said we were the ultimate helicopter parents, just hovering around her. Um, but it took her a little while, and now she's okay with it. And so we're excited to, uh, to be here and to get, get used to um, uh, what it's like to live here in Chicagoland. Excited. Uh, I mean, the weather's just amazing. I've been told it's always like that. That's what the Wheaton College people told me. And so I'm excited about just enjoying this weather all year round. So anyway, well, hey, welcome to you, uh, St. Charles, DeKalb, Blackberry Creek, Bartlett, and online. I want to encourage you today that today's message is, I would say to you, it's a very um, challenging message at times, but it's an essential one for us to get to. It's one of the most important questions in theology, and, and, and as we read the Bible, uh, we'll sometimes encounter uh, descriptions of God that, that are both end, that might even seem contradictory if we don't understand the nature of the gospel itself, and that's what we're going to get at today. It's essential that you and I understand that in the Bible, God is exclusive. He is holy. The Bible says he is jealous, speaks of him as wrathful, and there's only one way. But also the Bible describes God as merciful, forgiving, inviting, open, and welcoming. And so we're going to look. God is not sometimes exclusive or sometimes inclusive. He's both and all the time because that's part of his very nature. Now we're going to talk about how is this God? How is God both of these things? And if he's both of these things, how is God good? So you're ready to dive in? This is important for us, right? We're going to dive in together because a lot of times I hear people say, well, you know, I, I really like God, but I don't like the Old Testament God. Can I tell you a secret? There's not an Old Testament God. It's the same God, right? And you need a full understanding of God's exclusive holiness and his inclusive mercy, mercy both end, to understand who God is and really the nature of the gospel itself. So the big theme, right, throughout this series, I've been watching the messages online, the big theme here has been both end. Well, today it's exclusive for God is holy, inclusive for God is mercy. So let's take a look, right? So, so you've, got your, you, you've, got, you've got your welcome guide here, you're, and you can follow along with us on the message, right? The message notes are here. I want to encourage you to take them out. If you're watching online, just jot this down on a sheet of paper. Here's why. You'll remember more and learn more if you jot these things down. So let's, let's do that. Number one, if you're taking notes, God is absolutely holy, exclusive of everything not perfect. Here's where the exclusivity of God comes from, is that because he is holy, he is exclusive of anything not holy. If it's not holy, it's not in the presence of God. Now, now again, it's not just being better than. God is utterly different than us, right? One of the key things we'll learn is there is a God, you are not that God, and you're not even close. Right, so why? Well, in each of these things, I want to look at some points that sort of illustrate the main point. Here's the main point, right? God is absolutely holy, exclusive of everything not perfect. Let's take a look at how this plays out in the history laid out in the scriptures. First of all, holiness is what makes God, God. I mean, you, you don't want a buddy God. You don't want sort of a God up in the sky who's your, who's, who's your friend, who sort of, he does some things, he makes some mistakes, he, he, but, he, but he's kind of, he's, he means well, right? So you don't want 
a buddy God. You, you, want, you don't want to be saying, hey, what's up, Lord? You don't want that. Right? You, don't, you don't want a God who, 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 or, or a Savior who's, who loves to wear a tuxedo t-shirt because he wants to be formal, but he's here to party. You don't want that God. You don't want a God who's eight pounds, six ounce, baby tiny Jesus with golden fleece diapers because you don't want him to grow up. You don't want that God. Here, here's, here, here it is, right? God is so holy, his presence means death for anything not holy. That, 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 that's pretty holy, right? Now, now, actually, the Bible actually describes this, right? So, so uh, the people of God would be following him, and, but there'd be a time and a place when a representative of the people would go before the, the holiest place, would go into the holy place, and there's long descriptions about how that person should prepare so that in preparing, they could go in rightly because if they went in wrongly, they'd die. Don't miss that. They would die. They'd have to be pulled out. Their dead body would be pulled out. Look at Exodus 28, verse 35. We're going to turn a little bit later on and actually mark some things in our Bible in the book of Romans. So you can go ahead and prepare to, to head there. But for now, it's on your screen. It says this. It says, so Aaron must wear it. It gives this description of what Aaron is to wear. So he's rightly prepared to go into the holy place. Aaron must wear it when he ministers right? The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place, right? And when he comes out, so there were bells. He's going in, ding, ding, ding. He's coming out, ding, ding, ding. Why? So that he will not die. So in other words, if you were dressed wrong, you could die. Now, our approach to dress at Christ Community Church is a little more lenient on some of these issues. But I don't want you to miss this because the holiness of God is so significant that in preparation to engage the holy place, the high priest, for example, would enter once a year, and if they didn't do everything right, they would die, and if they did everything right, they would sprinkle the blood of an innocent sacrifice on the mercy seat. Right? So, a matter of fact, Moses actually pleads to see God at one point, and in God's glory, his perfection, his holiness, and God says to him, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So this is how holy God is, right? How holy God is. Even someone like Moses who talked to God consistently, who, who was exposed to God's glory, who led God's people, who spoke and advocated for God's nation, an entire nation, he couldn't look at the holy face of God. He is that holy. See, we think he sort of grades on a curve that some are some are better than others. And some people, if they encountered the holiness of God, they'd be in big trouble. Right? So we remember that scene from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? So in Raiders of the Lost Ark, they, they find the Ark of the Covenant and contained in there some, some, uh, some in, in, the, in the movie, some, some evident presence of holiness. And, and, and so they, the, the angels start coming out and killing all the Nazis, right? And, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And my kids make fun of the special effects, which is why I sometimes don't appreciate their love for my movies. Yeah, I get that it's clearly a wax face melting off a guy, and I get that now it's all digital. But, you know, here's the guy. So the Nazis all get killed by the angels of death, if you will, that come out of the Ark of the Covenant, and we, we think it's good that God's holiness punishes Nazis and punishes Stalin and punishes our third-grade math teacher. I mean, we think some people deserve it. The wrath of God poured out on, on them. But here's the thing that I want you to see. Anyone who is a sinner, so that would be all of us without the forgiveness that comes in Christ, but anyone who's a sinner experiences the unfiltered holiness of God ends up dead. 
So you say, well, welcome guest speaker. This is a cheery message you have for us today. We want to thank you. But this includes us, right? So this includes us. Uh, ultimately, you really need to get this because it shapes everything without the mercy of God the holiness of God is rightly terrifying and deadly. I don't want you to miss that. That's not the totality of understanding who God is. But let's also notice, too, that God makes things holy by his presence. So, so when God is near, things get more holy. Right? His, his presence actually means that the things he touches becomes more holy. In Exodus 3.5, we see this picture of Moses, and he, he comes up to this, I won't tell you the whole story, but this burning bush and all these things, and God says to him, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Because God is there. So proximity to God and his emanating holiness fundamentally changes that which is near to him. That's how holy God is. God is absolutely holy, exclusive of everything not perfect. Now, God's holiness leads to righteous judgment. So it's not just that he's holy. It's not just that he makes ground holy. not just that priests who come in unprepared don't make it out alive because they haven't prepared to engage his holiness. It's not just that, but that holiness leads to God's righteous judgment. God is so holy that every time you sinned, like in the Old Testament, I'll give an example, something innocent actually died in the, your place for the punishment of your sin. Look at this fascinating passage in, in Leviticus. Right, now again, we're going to turn to Romans in just a minute, but look at this fascinating passage in Leviticus. It says, this is Leviticus 4, 27 through 29. If a member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden by any of the Lord's commands... When they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes moan, they must bring an offering for the sin they committed, uh, for they committed a female goat without defect. Now, now don't, don't miss this, okay? For us, man, it's no big deal. It's a white lie. It's an un I mean, but the Bible says for an unintentional sin, right? For an unintentional sin, you're actually to bring a sacrifice before the Lord. I think an unintentional sin, man, I, I get a pass for that. But God is so holy He's exclusive of anything not perfect. It actually gives the instructions from there. To us, sin is no big deal, right? To God, sin, even unintentional sin, is punishable by death. He is exclusive of everything not holy. So what would happen is, uh, in the Old Testament, there would be a priest to help make things right, right? The priest would go and make the make the payment or the penalty for your sin through the sacrifice of an animal. In Leviticus 5.13, it says this. It says, in this way, the priest will make atonement, atonement for them, for any of these sins they have committed, they will be forgiven. So atonement is a payment that pays the penalty for the sin. I want you to remember the word atonement. We're going to look at words like atonement today because it's essential to understand the passage. You say, Ed, I don't, you know, I mean, there's a lot of theological terms. Listen, I think if you can learn to order coffee at Starbucks, you can learn theological words at church. Um, now, I, I don't go to Starbucks. I, I don't understand what a venti latte is other than my wife writes it down and I go in and say, I, I'd like these words to be ordered in a coffee. 
So atonement, you can learn. What does atonement mean? It's a payment of sin, a payment of the penalty of sin. So in the Old Testament, God created a system where people could pay the penalty of their sin with the help of a priest. You take your most precious lamb, walk into the temple, right? Speak your sin out loud, put your hand on the lamb's head, kill it yourself. This is how seriously God took sin and and completely separates us from God when there's sin in our life. Now, let's not, let's not end there. Let's continue to bring the good news and the sunshine as the guest speaker today, right? So God's holiness is bad news for the unholy, right? So God's holiness is, is bad news for the unholy. But again, we want to grade on a curve. I was sitting on an airplane next to somebody. I wanted to share the gospel and had the opportunity to share the gospel. Now, to be perfectly honest, I don't always uh, take the time to do that. Sometimes I, I just want to be left alone and I get on my Southwest flight and I, 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 I put my big black Bible down next to me and I wear my t-shirt. Sit here, I'll tell you about the Lord. And uh, <laughs> see, some of you have flown on Southwest. You need an open seat strategy on Southwest <laughs> Airlines and evangelism can be it. But, but uh, this wasn't a Southwest flight. And so I'm talking to this guy and I, I, one of the concepts that people have a hard time sometimes getting is just how holy God is and how sinful they are. So I took out, um, I think I was writing on a notepad, and I, I said, well, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, let's mark here that God is perfect. So he's, he's, he's perfectly holy. God is, is 10 perfect in every way. Uh, the worst sinner in the world, the, the Hitler or the Stalin, is a zero. And so I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of grade yourself on this scale. And so he was about ready to write something down. And I actually heard, I heard, I heard someone had done this, and so I liked this idea. So I tried it. It seemed to go well. So I said, so you just mark where you are on this scale of 1 to 10. And so he's about ready to mark this down. And I say, but before you do, I should tell you, like Billy Graham would say he's like a 2. <laughs> so he was kind of, oh, okay. And uh, I mean, you can put it anywhere you think you'd put on this scale. And, <laughs> but but here, here's the thing, here's the thing. Um, I mean, ultimately, I, I think he put himself down as like a little between a one and a, and a two. But here's the problem. It's a pass-fail, and 10 is pass, and anything else is fail. And anything else that fails gets punished. Don't want you to miss this, right? Numbers 14, 18 says this. The Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, I bet you're glad that the Lord doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. I bet you're not as glad that that's actually you in that passage. Now, go ahead and point to the person next to you. DeKalb, you got to do this. Bartlett, you know, Blackberry Creek, uh, St. Charles. Just point to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you, sinner. Go ahead and just do that right now. Make a really judgmental face when you do it. Really judgmental. He's talking about you. So look at yes. Now, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 puts it this way. Now, let's go ahead and look at that one, right? So I want you to, I want you to open your Bible because there's a couple things I want you actually to mark down. Hopefully, you're already there in Romans. And we're going to look at a couple of passages in Romans. And here it says, in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 10, it says, there is no one righteous, okay? So now that we understand how holy God is, it would make sense that nobody gets the 10, passes the past-fail test on their own. There is no one righteous, not even one, unless you thought, well, what about, no, not even one. 
There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The message just keeps getting happier. But I don't want you to miss this, right? Because God is so holy, he is exclusive of everything not holy. And because he was exclusive of everything not holy, right? So, so, so I, I, I'm not even done, right? I'm not done with the bad news. Now, I really think you need, if you're going to understand the gospel, you can't get that there's good news until you understand that there's bad news, right? So I'm not even done with the bad news. Mr. Sunshine has more to say. It's not only that God punishes sin, it's not only that we all fail, it's that we fail and now we are under what the Bible calls the wrath of God. Wow, okay. So I came to church today and we got to talk about the wrath of God. See, but God is more holy than you can imagine. He's exclusive of everything not holy, but aren't you glad the sermon isn't done yet? Because that's not where it ends. The sermon, the message ended here. Man, it would be a huge bummer. We're objects of God's wrath because he's exclusive of everything not holy. He punishes everything not holy. Now, don't miss this, right? That's the wrath of God. But aren't you glad this series is called Both and? Right? So let's take a look at number two in our outline. Because we start with the bad news. Now, not bad news that God's holy, but it's bad news that God's holy when you're not. It's great news that God's holy, but it's bad news that God's holy when you're not because there's consequences. We are literally called objects of wrath because God is so holy, he's exclusive of everything not holy. But number two in our outline, God is absolutely merciful inclusive of everything made perfect. Now notice I didn't say that God's like, ah, that's no big deal. Don't sweat that. It was unintentional. It was, it was, it was not nearly as bad as I've seen other people go. See, when you, when, you, when you become a follower of Jesus, you acknowledge that you haven't been able, you're not able, and you will never be able in and of yourself to pass the pass-fail test of perfection. But God, because he is both holy and exclusive and merciful and inclusive, has made a way. Both and God's exclusive for God is holy, inclusive because God is mercy. This is a message that we need, or else ultimately the holiness of God rightfully leads us to despair. So let's take a look how God's merciful. Well, you see, why? Because it says specifically, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. The Lord your God is a merciful God. Thank God that he's a merciful God. Thank God he's a holy God, but, but one without the other is a whole different story. Thank God he's a merciful God. So how? Well, first, you know, God's mercy changes his perception of us. I don't want you to miss that, right? He chooses to see us differently rather than to rightly administer the penalty of sin, right? So you got your, you got your Bible there. You got your Bible open to, uh, to Romans. Just look over just a little bit more to Romans chapter 9, just a few chapters away to Romans chapter 9. Let's look what it says. It says, okay, well, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, okay, 
Because why? Because objects of wrath. That's us, right? Although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath. Just so we, just so we get this. The objects of his wrath he's talking about here, that's you. Okay? So, so, so again, don't miss that. This ties in, but keep, but keep following along. So he, 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 choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, he bore with great patience the, object of his, the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. What if he did this? To make known the riches of his glory, known to the objects of his mercy. Would you, would you do me a favor just a second? Circle the words objects of his wrath, objects of his mercy. Just circle both of those. Objects of his wrath, objects of his mercy. And then put a little line and says, and let's write the word, me. Okay, so, so don't miss this, right? So make the riches of his glory known to the objects of mercy, who he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but from the Gentiles. We were objects or vessels of wrath, but now we are vessels or objects of mercy. God has changed how he views us. Now, we're going to talk about how and why in just a minute. But this is kind of how God works, right? So this isn't like just something that was new to the people of God in the New Testament. God has, has often given his people pictures of his mercy that ultimately would be fulfilled in Christ. But we see this in the garden where God promises salvation even in the midst of, of really cursing humanity and driving them out from the garden. We see this in God's response to Adam and Eve's sin, right, where, where he makes them coverings to hide their shame. We, we see this in God's promise to Abram, later Abraham, to bless the world in Genesis 12. We see this ultimately in God's fulfillment of the promise to bless the world by sending Jesus, right? In Ephesians it says, but God being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, God is rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ. Okay, so, so the big picture, right, is God is absolutely merciful, inclusive of everything made perfect, right? So it's not like God saying, ah, that was no big deal. Don't sweat the small stuff. God sweats the small stuff. Okay, so why, how? Well, God changes, God's mercy changes his approach towards us when it comes to the wrath of God and the punishment of sin, right? Now, God, uh, throughout the Bible, would, uh, would cover our sins, pay for our sins, and, and there'd be sacrifices that were made to pay for the sins in the Old Testament, the atonement to pay for the sins in the Old Testament. Um, and then in Christ, the ultimate atonement was made in Christ's death on the cross for our sin and in our place, which we receive by grace and through faith. But, but don't want you to miss this, right? So, so the Bible tells us, actually, it's not just that we have our sins covered or paid for through atonement, but now we're also justified. Now, now don't want you to miss this, and you'll see why this is so important in just a minute, but listen to what it says. This is in Romans chapter 4. So Romans chapter 4, just kind of go back a little bit to Romans chapter 4. Here's what it says, and I, lo I, lo I love to hear the sounds of Bible pages turning, right? Romans chapter 4 says this. Uh, he was delivered, this is Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins, paying the penalty of our sins, that atonement, and raised to life for our justification. Circle the word justification, right? 
And if you'll look in the word justification, you can actually put some lines in the word itself. Now we are justified, and it's just as if I'd never sinned. Say, therefore, we have been justified just as if I'd never sinned. It says we have been justified through faith and have peace, not the wrath of God. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't, don't miss that, all right? See, you go right to that without understanding the wrath of God. And people want to stay away from the wrath of God or the holiness of God or the exclusive nature of God. And I get it. This world doesn't like to talk that way. We live in a world of Oprahified faith and Oprahified religion. And what I would say to you is that you can't understand the mercy of God without understanding first the holiness of God. And but God's mercy, God's mercy, don't miss this, God's mercy changes our understanding of God, right? See, see, otherwise we're trying to work our way to God, kind of keep God happy, sort of keep God from, from squashing us or, or hurting us or killing us or whatever it may be, right? But, but then we understand that there's no way that I can get to a 10 on the perfection scale. There's no way. So I can just be thankful for God's good grace towards us. You see, don't miss this. The gospel is not you do. The gospel is Jesus did. See, what Jesus did pays the penalty, takes the wrath. You can't do it. You're too much of a sinner and God is too holy. The gospel, therefore, is not you do. The gospel is Jesus did. Now, this is so fundamentally different from the way we're wired and the way we think. We think I gotta get good, I gotta be religious, right? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get around religious people, I gotta try harder. But the gospel is not you do, it's Jesus did. Actually, this helps us to understand God's mercy because God's mercy has to be built upon understanding of God's holiness, but then God's mercy and God's holiness are not just abstract ideas. The kindness and love of God is not an idea. Don't miss this. The kindness and love of God is a person. Look at what it says in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Did you, did you see that? See, the kindness and love of God is not just a concept. The kindness and love of God is expressed in a person, God the Son, Jesus the Christ. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, because we're never going to get to the perfect 10 test, right? And not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. By the way, remember when we said that God makes things more holy by his presence? When you're a follower of Jesus, when he is in you and you are in Christ, you grow in holiness. We, we become more like him. Our personal holiness is really directly connected to our personal relationship with God. So united with God, connected with him is life. And this points us to how God is able to do this. How can he be both holy and merciful. There's, there, there, there's one picture in all of human history that shows us how God can be both holy and merciful at the same time. And people right now all over our campuses in DeKalb and, and Bartlett and, and Blackberry Creek and St. Charles and watching online have either on your person or in your house that symbol. It's called the cross. 
the cross personifies in Christ's death on it holiness and mercy. Mercy. This is the both end. Exclusively, exclusive for God is holy, inclusive for God is mercy. And this is what man, people sometimes just miss. Right? People just miss. You go, you go to some churches and man, all you hear about is the, is the holiness and, and God. And you can never live up and you're always terrible and you're always bad. And you kind of go out of there thinking that, man, I'm just a, I, I'm just a terrible, terrible person. And, and, and it seems like they're ticked and God is ticked and they're ticked because God is ticked. And then some churches, it's like they never heard of sin and, and holiness. Just try harder and be positive. And that's why I loved an article that your pastor Jim wrote in Leadership Journal. Before I, before I knew I was moving to Chicago and before I, before I had heard of, of, of Christ Community Church or, 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 or Pastor Jim Nicodem or anybody, I read an article he wrote on, on being, churches being deep and wide. That's a both end, right? Deep and wide. And so perfect. But, but it, and this is, a, this is an application of it. Listen, I want us to know God's deep holiness and have a deep understanding of God's holiness, but also his wide mercy, knowing Knowing that is what makes Christianity Christian. Uh, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens once wrote that church is where good people stand in front of good people and tell them how to be good people. And, but that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is that a holy God who is exclusive of everything not holy then also is a merciful God because he is inclusive of everything that he makes perfect. So how does he make it justified? How does he work the atonement? How is it that on the other side of our relationship with Christ, we experience the exclusiveness? Here's, here's how. You see, on the cross, Jesus took the just and holy God's punishment for our sin. He became the curse, the wrath we deserved. And this is where the holiness of God and the mercy of God collide on that cross. On that cross where Jesus died, the song says, the wrath of God was satisfied. He became the curse we deserve. And in doing so, Christ became the perfect holiness. We never was walked in holiness, sinless life, was then enabled for us to experience his righteousness. By the way, Remember the priest who would go into the holy place? Jesus is the true high priest who entered into the heavenly places to become the true sacrifice. He took the justice of God for the holiness of God so that we could experience the mercy of God. At the cross, holiness and mercy meet. Exclusive and inclusive make sense. Galatians 3.13 puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse or the wrath. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became a curse for us. Remember that. He became sin for us. Now why? Why does this matter? Because Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he is always, always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest. He's the high priest that goes into the holy place and takes the wrath. Such a high priest truly makes our need, meets our need, one who is holy blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted from the heavens. Don't miss that. He is set apart from sinners. See, this is why it matters so much that Jesus was born and lived a sinless life and then died on the cross for our sin by becoming our sin. And when we get that, the holy God, we don't recoil in fear, which, which should be your rightful response without Christ. You should recoil in fear 
without Christ. But listen to this beautiful verse in Hebrews 10, 19. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, don't miss that. Remember the holy place that they, they, they have to ring the bell? He's in. Is he going to come out alive? And he made it out. They ring the bell. If not, they pull him out with a rope. That when they go into the holy place now, the great high priest, Jesus, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. Are those not beautiful words of the mercy of God? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. When I was a kid, I grew up outside of New York City, and I moved to uh, Florida as a uh, young man. We moved into a really house in some bad condition. My dad lost his job. We were starting over. My grandfather had owned some properties in Florida, and he was a bit of a slumlord, I have to be honest. Uh, I didn't come from a Christian family. So one day, all the plumbing in our house backed up at the same time, and um, my, my father was pretty upset because the, the, the house was a mess. We, when we moved in, there was literally no front door on the house, which I believe a house without a door should technically be called a cave. And uh, so we walked into the cave. My dad was pretty handy, put the door on. So there were a lot of things, leaks, things we had to fix. But one day, um, about a few weeks in, all the plumbing backed up. It wasn't a lot of plumbing. It was a small house. But my father just was fed up. He called my grandfather and said, you need to come fix this. And so my grandfather said, okay. And so my grandfather called back about 20 minutes later, and he said, I'm coming over, and he asked for me. Um, uh, he called me Eddie. When I was little, they called me Eddie, and you may not. And uh, so, they, uh, so they, they, he came over, and he said, would you meet me outside? We're going to dig up something in the backyard, right? Because everything backed up at the same time. I, I found out later there was a reason for that. But he said, we're going to meet, we're going to dig up something in the backyard. And I was so excited as a young man, right? So my grandfather, very crafty man, he might have found a Ponce de Leon map that he had come across and buried treasure in my yard. And oh, there was treasure in my yard, I assure you. <laughs> so we, uh, my grandfather... Um, uh, drove up about, I don't know, 15 minutes later. He had a big red Cadillac, and he got out, and he had a long iron rod in his hand, and I had the shovel that was in our shed in the back, and we met. He went to this place in the backyard that was particularly green and lush, uh, and he said, we're going we're gonna to dig up something right here. I was super excited. Imagine this young kid. And so I start digging, and it doesn't take long before I hit something buried in our yard. Now, this is, I mean, I grew up outside of New York City. I grew up with concrete, and there were nothing like this. And, and so there's a box buried in my yard, and I start cleaning it off, and I'm, I'm looking with these wide eyes of excitement, and my grandfather has this grin on his face, and I've seen this grin before. It usually involved alcohol, but this time I don't know what it was. He just was smirking for some reason, so I cleared off the box, and I said, Grandpa, there's, there's a box. He says, yes, we're going to open it. I said, you bet we're going to open it. So he gives me the iron rod, and I sort of find the top of the lid, and I, my job is to sort of pry it open, and and it kind of goes up and slides to the side all at once. And so I go, boom, and there it is. And it opens up, and sweet, sweet mother of pearl, it's a, it's a box of poop buried in my yard. I should have checked with Pastor Jim if I can say poop at church. But, um, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, conceptually, this did not make any human sense to me, right? I grew up in the city. We flush and stuff goes somewhere else. And, and it appears somebody was storing it in my yard. And so I'm like, what in the world? And, and he's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just your family. And I'm like, I don't care if it's the Queen of England. It's poop in the yard. 
And so he says, we got to unclog it. And I said, we? Um, and so we renegotiated my fee at that point. And uh, so my job was to sort of lean over the edge of the tank, and uh, it's a septic tank, by the way, uh, and to take a metal rod and sort of find the entrance and find what's clogging it and pull out my family's clogging, and uh, that was my job. So, um, so I started to try that, and I couldn't really get it to work. I was going, ding, 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 it wouldn't really work. And so my grandfather says, listen, you've got to lean over more. I'll hold your shirt. So he, so he starts holding my shirt, and he thinks he's funny. He's had one too many, so he's like, don't fall in. And he shakes me a little bit, and I'm like, stop it. He says, don't fall in, and I do. And I'm standing up to my knees in my family, And I'm holding an iron rod looking at my grandfather, who's thankful, <laughs> thankful he's family. Um, and I will tell you, there's a, this is a true story, by the way. This is not a preacher story. I didn't make this up. Uh, the, uh, so I'm standing up to my knees. And it was just this moment of revulsion that many of you are feeling right now. It just, it viscerally impacts us, right? Right? Um, and so I get out, and they wash me off with tomato juice. I'm not sure if I joined some cult that I didn't even know about. I don't know. Um, but, but and by the way, I'm so thankful that the water table in Florida is shallow because it's not deep. It was squishy, but it was not deep. And so I'm, but here's the thing. You know that visceral disgust that you feel? You just want to get away from it, right? Sin to a holy God is a disgusting and terrible thing. That's why God is exclusive in his holiness of sin, right? So because God in his exclusive holiness uh, doesn't want this in his presence, right? And I'm not saying he has this visceral reaction the same way that we are, but I want you to understand that when Jesus lived on this earth, he saw sin. He never committed sin. He, he lived a sinless life. He was not a sinner, but he saw the effect and the stench and the degradation of sin all around him. Think of the people he ran with. People, he was accused of hanging around too much with sinners and prostitutes and drunkards. And so he saw the impact of sin. And then he dies on the cross. Why? Because he's a holy God, but he's a merciful God. He's exclusive. And, and sin all around is, is horrible, but he's inclusive in his mercy. And so then on the cross, the Bible describes the moment. Actually, you've probably seen it in a passion play when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that moment, the Bible says, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that God made him, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, right? The sinless, holy, exclusive God is also the merciful, inclusive God. And on the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's the gospel right there. That's the both end. In one verse. And he didn't just get in 
up to his knees in the stench and filth of our sin. He didn't just get, get up to his waist, or he didn't even just be submerged in the stench and filth of our sin, but on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. How? Because he became our sin. He wasn't a sinner, but he died a sinner's death. At that moment, on that cross, in that place, the both and God's exclusive holiness and his inclusive mercy are made evident and clear in Christ. And at that moment... The bad news is trumped and replaced, but only understood in light of the good news. He is holy in this verse. He knew not sin. He is mercy in this verse. He became sin for us. And wow, in the light of that truth, we can understand the cross. And for 2,000 years, Christians have celebrated the cross, celebrated the cross in doing so through the taking of communion. Through the years, people have called it the communion or a Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, but this reflection of the beautiful reality in this moment, there's no better time after and no better theme than talking about God's holiness, God's mercy, his exclusive holiness and an inclusive mercy come together in the cross. And in communion, we take a backward look at the cross. This do, Jesus says, in remembrance of me. So whatever campus you're at, whether you're in Bartlett or St. Charles or Black, Blackberry Creek or, or wherever you may be gathered together in DeKalb or, 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 or watching online, this is a reminder to us. And let me just say, if you're watching online, this, I want to exhort you, this is a reminder that also you need to come and be among God's people so you can partake in communion together. But our pastors, campus pastors or pastors from each of our locations are going to come at this time and give us the opportunity to reflect that God is both and. He is exclusive of everything not holy. And he is inclusive by his mercy of everything he's made perfect through atonement and justification. Would you pray with me? Father, by your grace and through your goodness, we are able to acknowledge that you are indeed both holy and merciful. Without the mercy of God, the holiness of God is terrifying to those who are imperfect like every single one of us. But Lord, through the mercy of God, we acknowledge that a path has been made, a priest has gone in for us, atonement has been paid, justification has been brought, and we celebrate today through the partaking of the Lord's Supper that you are both and, exclusive for you are holy, inclusive for you are mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.